Welcome to this episode, the first episode of Morbid Symptoms, a podcast about the ongoing coronavirus crisis we are facing together. Uh, my name is Wes Cheek. I'm a visiting researcher and JSPS fellow at Ritz-Macon's Institute for Disaster Mitigation of Urban Cultural Heritage here in Kyoto, Japan. On this program, I'm going to try to connect the dots between sociological theory, disaster research, and the ongoing coronavirus pandemic. It might be a little messy, and I might be completely wrong. I often am. Uh, but for those of us who are thinking about these things, it might be helpful to kind of talk through them together. So that's what I'm trying to do. Uh, I'll try to make these brief and put them out daily or kind of daily or pretty much daily, depending on how things go, because uh, things are changing so fast. Um, as this is going on. So if you're looking for something more practical about this issue, I might recommend uh, Scott Knowles' COVID Calls, which he has on his Slow Disasters uh, podcast, which you can find on SoundCloud. And uh, for disasters in general, please listen to Disasters Deconstructed with uh, Ksenia Chimatina and Jason Von Metting, who uh, you can find that podcast anywhere. Uh, this one's going to focus more kind of on these uh, specific instances that that um, indicate something theoretical that we can, we can dive into. Um, here's the thing. As a disaster researcher, I often have to stop and ask myself if the thing I'm doing is going a little bit too far, right? If I'm being too much of a ghoul, if I'm, if my work relies on other people's suffering, right? Um, I think we all feel that way sometimes, and I'm never sure of the right answer to that, but I'm pretty sure the answer is something like, yes, probably, but is it also necessary? Yes, probably. Uh, so I kind of work, even though I'm hesitant, I work from that, that understanding, in this case, too. Uh, I've been thinking about putting this this podcast together for the last two weeks. It's kind of been bouncing around in my head, but I've hesitated because I didn't want to capitalize in any way on something that's happening to other people. I, I feel bad about that. But I, as this goes on, it seems more and more like something that is happening in, in some ways to all of us. Uh, and like many of you, I'm having multiple conversations with colleagues and friends and family that touch on issues related to the virus. And I thought this might be a good way to organize those thoughts for, for people, or for some people anyway. Uh, so that being stated, let's begin the first episode by talking about the title. Um, if you are into sociological theory at all, or even uh, socialism or any kind of uh, the communism, any kind of radical leftist thought, uh, you might be familiar with this quote, uh, so the title is Morbid Symptoms. It, of course, comes from the famous Antonio Gramsci quote, uh, which goes like this. The crisis consists precisely in the fact that the old is dying and the new cannot be born. In this interregnum, a great variety of morbid symptoms appear. Right? It's often translated a little differently. You'll hear it, uh, uh, something to do with monsters, uh, something like that. Uh, this is the translation I usually go with. Um, it's a very famous quote, sometimes misinterpreted quotes, uh, easily misunderstood quote. We'll go into that in a second. But if you've never read Antonio Gramsci before, you, you always should. And it's, it's a complicated read because uh, it can be very wide, very broad, a wide-ranging reading, but, but well, well worth it if you can dig into it. So who was Antonio Gramsci? Basically, he was born poor and sickly and, and disabled in Sardinia in 1891. Um, he had a lot of physical difficulties and a lot of financial difficulties, but from the very beginning, beginning he was brilliant. He was a brilliant mind, and that was kind of recognized by everyone uh, around him. He was a major intellect in the Communist Party of Italy and a radical journalist. He was imprisoned by Mussolini's fascist government in 1926 in order to, and I quote, break his mind. Fortunately, his mind could not be broken. Uh, he had a, a very durable mind, even if his body was suffering. Uh, he spent the rest of his life writing what we now know as the prison diaries. Um, and he wrote it largely from memory and largely in secret. In fact, 
when he was near death, he had to he had to smuggle out the prison diaries, and he had a fellow prisoner distract the guards so that he could hide hide his document. It's a really incredible incredible story of perseverance. Uh, but Gramsci died in 1937 at the age of 46. He had been released into convalescence, and he planned on returning to Sardinia uh, to convalesce, but he was too sick to move and died of his illnesses. So to go back over the quote again, he- here it is in full. The crisis consists precisely in the fact that the old is dying and the new cannot be born. Into this interregnum, a great variety of morbid symptoms appear. What's often not given is the following line which reads, will the interregnum, the crisis whose historically normal solution is blocked in this way, necessarily be resolved in favor of a restoration of the old? So uh, this line has risen in popularity over the last few years, right? It's a pretty commonly cited line, but it's rooted in a struggle with European communism in the 1920s and 30s, and between communism and fascism in different uh, factions within communism, right? So we don't have time to go into the whole debate here. There's some interesting takes on it about whether this line is applicable to us now at all or not. But the quote was grounded in the real world circumstances of that time. So is it applicable for us now? Well, I tend to agree with Professor of Development Studies at the University of London, Gilbert uh, Oshkar, Uh, who says that it can be, right? So this is quoting Professor Oshkar. The central idea in Gramsci's famous sentence belongs to the appraisal of any transitional phase during which an old order is already dying, but a radically different new one is not yet able to be born. An appraisal that was key to Marx's analysis of Bonapartism. Gramsci and his fellow Italian Marxists could not fail to find in it a clue to their own analysis of fascism, which is indeed a degenerate form of Bonapartism, end quote. So how does that work for us today in this present moment that we are all experiencing together? My argument would be that we are again trapped in an interregnum, right, of sorts. Uh, The pandemic that we find ourselves in is exposing many of the cracks in modern neoliberal capitalism, as well as threatening the roots of that system as a whole. Um, Much of the world seems now engaged in a struggle to preserve their existing economies and everyday ways of life. Meanwhile, the hold that has been placed on society is possibly provoking those old ways to lose their grip. The catch here is, again, what Gramsci presciently laid out for us, the new cannot be born, meaning that the alternatives to our current globalized, urbanized, neoliberal capitalism has not yet been put in place. This tension between the dying and the not yet born is giving birth to countless morbid symptoms. Uh, That language is a bit on the nose, but it's also stunningly accurate, right? Um, That's how else can we describe these things that we're seeing Uh, these kind of diverse range of problems that keep popping up and seem seem almost random but but aren't because they're very much rooted in the system that we all live under so let's look at one example this is kind of what we're going to do uh, over the next uh, few episodes or or as long as I do this I guess Uh, so let's look at one example of an actually existing morbid system that we can see so today which is March 30th 2020 a cruise ship named the Zandam was granted permission by the Panama Ministry of Health to pass through the Panama Canal and thereby cut short its trip and make it back to Port Everglades, Florida, right, where it's heading. The ship was seeking special permission to pass through because four people on board have already died and two more have tested positive for the novel coronavirus. So it's a bad situation. It's a situation you would not be, want to be on a cruise ship, confined to a cruise ship uh, during. So what makes that case interesting to us? What makes that anything other than just news of the day, right? Well, it depends on how far you wish to dive into this topic. Um, we don't have time to go that deep into it, but but the threads are all there, right? 
Uh, in the Grundrisse, Marx lays out how capitalism furthers the annihilation of time and space, right? And here's a quote. With the development of the means of transport, the speed of movement in space is accelerated and the spatial distance is shortened in time, right? It's an explanation of what Marx means by uh, annihilation of time and space, right? So, so capitalism requires for these things to be kind of compressed, right? Because the faster it can work, the more goods make it to market, the less time it is to market, the more efficient the system becomes. It's always improving, getting faster, churning on and on, right? This is a key feature of the efficiency of capitalism. Uh, David Harvey has discussed this, uh, both in his Companion to Capital, as well as the condition of postmodernity. Um, I recommend both of them. If you've never read Capital, reading along with David Harvey is excellent. Or watching on YouTube is, is great to do. Uh, Capital can be really dry. Um, David Harvey can be dry too, but he's an excellent writer and speaker and gets his point across uh, really well. So if you know anything about the Panama Canal, it was constructed from 1904 to 1914. And it's a direct, direct piece of infrastructure that illustrates completely, not only illustrates, but is part of this annihilation of space and time, right? It's a way to shorten travel between the Atlantic and Pacific and to increase increase the ease and flow of trade from east to west. It was, of course, constructed as a colonial project, first of France, and then uh, the U.S. took over um, again, you know, against in some cases, uh, subverting, in many cases, uh, the will uh, of the people of Latin America. Um, and it costs the lives of over 5,500 workers. It's hard to get an accurate account, but, but thousands and thousands of people died working on this. And, the, and the, the people that died working on it were, of course, largely, um, well, overwhelmingly poor people and overwhelmingly from, from Latin America, right? There are many issues that we can explore with that. We can do another time. Uh, but if you follow the history of the Panama Canal, it's fascinating. All the way through, you know, the 1970s and the July 4th riots and on to turning back over to, to Panama, to sovereignty to Panama. So also more recently, in 2016, the Panama Canal was expanded to accommodate larger ships, right, with a great deal of backing from China, uh, creating a new class of shipping, the Panamax or the new Panamax or the post-Panamax, even they call them Neo-Panamax, which are the largest commercial shipping vessels in the world, gigantic, massive shipping vessels. And the rest of the world's infrastructure is having to adjust to be able to accommodate the, the Panamax-class ships. Um, some pieces of infrastructure are now... Uh, insufficient, obsolete because of this. Um, I believe the Industrial Canal in New Orleans is one of those. Lots of places have to look at the new Panamax ships. So here we arrive at an interesting junction of neoliberal capitalism, which requires a globalized network of goods, finances, capital, and a technocratic elite moving seamlessly about the world with little regard for national boundaries. But yet the current pandemic has a localized side of origin, right? We, we place it in Wuhan, China. We place We put this illness in a place, right? But Viruses aren't supposed to uh, cross these boundaries, international or otherwise. These boundaries are for the things we listed previously. These boundaries um, shouldn't exist for goods, finances, capital, and the technocratic elite. Um, these boundaries shouldn't exist under neoliberal capitalism. But they're supposed to exist for people, right, or for certain classes of people. Uh, they're supposed to be hard boundaries for those people. Um, and also we seem to somehow think that uh, things that we don't want, like viruses in this case, aren't going to cross those boundaries, right? But the boundaries are, are becoming, the boundaries are becoming seamless for a lot of reasons that are related to neoliberal capitalism, right? And that system is required to perpetuate and sustain neoliberal capitalism. It sets the stage for uh, a, a transmission and spread of a virus, right? The stage is set by the conditions that we already have, the status quo, right? Um, 
And now we have people dying on board a cruise ship, which are it's there's a lot there, but those are itself an expression of the massive inequalities in place in the world economy and the American economy. When you think about who has the ability to go on a cruise ship and where they go on cruises to, and what is commodified in in terms of of being on a cruise, and what people work in uh, to make the cruise lines run, and what people work in the ports to kind of perform their culture for the cruise lines, there's a lot there too. Uh, but we have people dying on this cruise ship, um, and, and they're seeking permission to move through the Panama Canal, which is constructed generations ago, of course, on stolen indigenous land and um, stolen Latin American land, and all, built off the backs of poor people who died living in horrible conditions, uh, and then expanded with, with large cooperation from China four years ago to facilitate the seamless movement of goods around the world. And yet there's a controversy in letting this ship pass, as well as to having the passengers disembark in Florida and Port Everglades, right? If only these people, these sick people aboard a cruise ship were commodities instead of human beings with an illness, they would pass through smoothly, uh, as we know from how uh, worldwide trade works and neoliberal capitalism works, right? This efficient movement of goods, um, as Marx said to us, the annihilation of time and space, the development of means of transport, the speed of movement in space is accelerated and spatial distance is shortened in time. Um, so that's what I'm looking at today, among a lot of other things. And that's a brief kind of introduction uh, to how we can look at these various morbid symptoms. Now, can we apply Gramsci's framework of morbid symptoms to our current situation in which our world is dying, but yet a new one is yet to be born? Well, this is just a brief example. Uh, I think we can, and I'll keep trying to apply this analysis as we go forward. Thanks for listening.